the uh, first three chapters of the book of First Thessalonians, and just uh, with the time allotted, it's not going to be a completely thorough uh, look at all those three chapters. But uh, it will be. We'll uh, hopefully I'll do it service and. Uh, and uh, it'd be of some service to all of y'all as well. I don't really know a lot about at least the secular history of the Thessalonians, but uh, I, I do believe that we can uh, uh, really see a good glimpse of who they were and, and some of the things that they could have been suffering in, in Acts chapter 17. And I think that it's a really good starting point uh, to really, to really look at what they could have been uh, going through, because the, in the book of First Thessalonians, it's, it, uh, really in the first three chapters, we'll see a lot about their their faith, the complete change that occurred to uh, the believers when they heard the gospel, their and their steadfastness. And another thing that sticks out, at least to me, is the thankfulness that Paul had. Uh, because the Thessalonians, not only did they accept the gospel, but the change that it wrought in them and the things that they were doing. And so in, in Acts chapter uh, 17, this is, they're, they're briefly mentioned in other passages. Paul talks about them, I believe, in 2 Corinthians as well. But in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, we uh, kind of, of course, uh, we see what uh, we see uh, Paul being uh, and others being persecuted here, and, and, and it gives us a little bit of a snapshot as we go throughout First Thessalonians of just a little bit of what they could have been dealing with uh, while they were uh, when they became Christians. In Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse one, it says, "Now when they had passed through, and and." What, however you said, Ampiphilus and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the, the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jesus, Jason has harbored them, and these were all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest of them, uh, they let them go. So we see when Paul goes there that there were some that, that they uh, were converted. Uh, but it says the Jews that were not persuaded, they took some of the evil men from the marketplace and they gathered the mob. And, uh, it says, and they uh, attacked the house of Jason. They dragged Jason to the rulers. And notice in verse 6 what, how they describe them. It says, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They know, or at least they have heard about these men and what they are doing. And they describe that they are turning the world upside down. I think that's an interesting 
Boy, they use it in negative sense, but it's uh, you really uh, see the the power that the uh, the gospel has on these people because in actuality it does uh, really uh, cause a complete change in people. And so them uh, see or them dealing with that persecution in Acts chapter seventeen kind of gives us a little bit of a backdrop of what the Thessalonians could have been dealing with, and it, and it gives us a little bit of a context as we go through the book of 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 what uh, the Thessalonians were, were going through. But in verse 1, and going to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1, it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus uh, Christ. Now notice, it says that the, the church is in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I... Uh, make a, a, a point of this because I think we can really plainly see in the scriptures that the church is not simply a building it is individuals in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 uh, talks about uh, these Christians that they were praising God having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved that the church is an assembly a congregation of people and I think it's important for us and I have I have been guilty when somebody asks me where, where I'm going I say well I'm going to to church, and uh, that's, I think most people understand uh, what what you are saying there. But the fact of the matter is that's not correct. You cannot. How do you go? You know, you, you, how do you you can meet with the church, but how do you go to? Uh, that is not. It's not correct. And we need to understand that when we are uh, using these terms, that we at least need to use them in in the right manner, and that we understand that the church is not simply a building or a location, but it's also the individuals. Now, notice that the church is in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's if you do a word search on that phrase, in God or in Christ, it's really interesting. And it's really one of the uh, one thing that I think is worthy of great study. And we see the many blessings throughout scriptures that we receive and only receive if we are in God and in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed all things have old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so it is not we can't in and of ourselves make ourselves a new creation. The only way in which we can be a new creation, putting off that old man uh, and, and being raised to newness of life, as Paul puts it, is only in him. That's the only way we can be that new creation. Also, uh, did not have this on here, but in the book of Colossians it says, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power, in him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, you are complete. How? You are complete in him. Uh, and, and again, that's not, we cannot do that in and of ourselves. But again, we are circumcised with circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. So we are raised how? Through uh, baptism, through faith in the working of God. It's when we talk about 
uh, that not just any baptism is valid. If that's the case, I'd probably just be finding people and dunking them in water. But the problem is, is that that is not uh, that is not valid. That you had to have faith in that working of God. That God is uh, uh, God at that time is raising you. That you are having your sins forgiven at that time. And also we see in Galatians chapter three and verse twenty-seven, for many as you were baptized where into Christ have put on Christ. So we have to understand uh, the, the blessings that we receive when we are in Christ, but also how do we uh, get into Christ? And we see that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. Also, uh, in the latter part of this verse, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not just simply a, a greeting he does use. Paul uses this uh, probably in most, if not all, of his letters. He uses this same uh, phraseology, and it's not simply just a greeting. We uh, know the, the grace that us as Christians have received. Uh, that we have been saved by grace, but also uh, we need that grace daily. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 43, it talks about being uh, Paul and Barnabas persuading them to continue in uh, the grace of God. That no, It's not just a one and done deal, that we have continually be faithful to God. We continually need His grace all the time. And even for us who are, or those that are not believers, even they receive a grace from God. And that in Second Peter chapter 3, talking about He is long-suffering toward us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so even for those that are, are not believers, a tremendous amount of grace, and even for us as Christians, an unimaginable amount of grace that we uh, have received from Him and that we need to uh, continue uh, to receive from Him. But also... Uh, he says, peace, uh, to, uh, peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 15, in verses 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That this hope, this, this faith and this hope that we have caused us uh, to have that peace, remember that phrasing of that peace that surpasses all understanding that, that no matter what is going on, that we can have that hope from God that causes us to endure all of the hardships that may uh, come our way. Now, I don't know if y'all watch the news, but recently, recently, if y'all watch the news, y'all have heard about these climate change protests, these kids protesting all this stuff. And you see the UN meetings in this there's just, there was this girl that came from Sweden and talked to this UN meeting. And uh, when she was, she was talking to these leaders, and she, I don't know the exact phrase, but she basically says that her worrying about climate change and, and the lack of things to do to, to help abate this, given if it is true, that, she, that her childhood had been destroyed. And there's a lot of these people out in, in these young people uh, having uh, or protesting uh, these people saying they haven't done anything about climate change. And they say they have anxiety about climate change. They just, you know, the world's going to end in 12 years and they just they're just distraught. And, uh, you know, one of the things that you think about looking at that and as for us as Christians, it's we we realize that the world is going to end. It's not going to be how they think it's going to end, but. Uh, 
it it kind of it's kind of baffling to me that you at least you know knowing that it, at the end of the day all of these things are going to be right that God's going to take care of all of these things and you have this large group of people and really anybody that's uh, uh, without hope in Christ they are they don't they don't know they don't they are distraught that if the world's coming to end that's their own that's their whole focus we're not going to be able to do all of these things and they have no hope they have no peace and it's because they don't have that hope and peace that comes from a God and we can see just a little bit of snap uh, just a snapshot from uh, those UN meetings those climate change protests of what what it looks like when you have no hope when you when you think that this life on earth is all that you have and you're not going to be able to uh, to, to, to live that life because you think the world is going to end uh, really soon and so we know that uh, uh, God's going to uh, 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 be with us and we can have hope and peace uh, through that. But notice as we continue on in chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3, it says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. And notice in verse 2, it says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. That he is, if when you read throughout the book of Thessalonians, that he is always uh, mentioning that he's always thanking God for them, for their faith, uh, for them, for for them remaining steadfast in their faith as well. And he's always looking out for them. He's always wanting the best uh, for his brethren. But notice in verse three, he talks about your work of faith, labor, love, and patience of hope. And, uh, and, 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 and so we see throughout the scriptures that there are various types of work mentioned. We talk about works of law. We see here works of faith. And, uh, of course, in today's society, it seems that faith and works are just, uh, they can't be in the same sentence together. But uh, we uh, uh, know Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 uh, says that we are creating Christ Jesus for good works that when we become Christians, we actually uh, we go to work when we become Christians, that there are things that we need to be busy about doing, busy about obeying God. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, And let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So Paul is saying, let them maintain those good works, meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. And also, he talks about this uh, talks about this labor of love. That not only does their faith uh, cause them to be busy, but also their their love uh, causes them to uh, uh, their love of brethren, love of God, causes them to uh, be uh, obedient to God, and also to be looking out for their brethren. And it's interesting because it's. The faith and love are so tied together that they, we have these two motivating factors for them to be busy. And uh, remember in James chapter 2 that faith without works is actually dead. You can give lip service to the fact that, hey, say, hey, I have faith, but if you're not actually backing that up by any type of action, that's useless. And it's the same thing with love. Of course, we know in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So uh, you can say that you love him, all the time. And I like to say, you know, Jesus gets to dictate who loves him. And he says that if you love me, you can't just say I'll, you love me and you're, and you're not doing what I say. 
that you have to be obeying uh, my commandments. And also in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So the similar aspect that we can't just say those things. We have to actually be backing those things up. If we're going to talk the talk, we actually have to uh, walk the walk as well. Now, uh, moving on, uh, he, he also references this patience of hope. And I believe that this hope is this, this is the hope of eternal life. And this hope causes one to endure all these hardships in looking towards uh, their reward. In 1 Peter chapter 4, and verses 12 and 13, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So if you are enduring persecution, don't think it's strange. Don't think that it's uh, that don't 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 come at it as as this should be unexpected uh, and, and and not strange. Uh, but he says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're going through those things, it's uh, it's a little bit of assurance that you're doing the right things, and it, that. Um, and it causes you to endure uh, those hardships. Now, he, he goes on, he talks about, uh, in verse 4, knowing uh, their election of God. And in verse 5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 5, it says the gospel did not come to you in word only. And he lists, but he says also empowering the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Now, I don't know exactly all the intricacies of, of what Paul is trying to say there, but what we do know is that the, when the word came to them, it had a tremendous effect and it completely changed uh, their lives. In verse 6, it says you became followers of us and the Lord. And it says, and having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, they received this word under much affliction and persecution, but it did not dissuade the, the uh, Thessalonians from b- believing. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, this is uh, uh, the writer talking about Moses. He says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Do you think about Moses? He could have just, you know, he was already uh, with Pharaoh. He was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have just uh, you know, gone back and lived in the lap of luxury till he died. Uh, but that's not, uh, that's not the case. But he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And you think about the Thessalonians. Think about what they could have been enduring in uh, what we read back in Acts chapter 17. The persecution they could have been uh, facing. They could have just said, you know what, you know, I'm just kidding about this Christianity thing. I'm going to, you know, this is too rough. And I'm, you know, it's a whole lot easier if I just follow these other gods, if I just do what the Jews want me to say, what the other Gentiles want me to do. I'll just, I'll just follow that. But that's not what occurred there. 
And uh, we can uh, we can see here in verse 26, says, He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches and treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Again, looking for uh, that reward. The Thessal- Thessalonians, uh, they, they were facing this affliction. And, of course, uh, the, the things that, that they needed to change in their life by becoming faithful followers of Christ, and yet they were willing to do those things. Why? Because they were looking towards that reward, just like uh, Moses was doing. But notice in verses 7 and, and, and through 9, uh, Paul is saying that really uh, th- their faith speaks for themselves. In verse 8 it says, For from you the sound of the Lord has sounded forth, forth not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from miles to serve the living and true God. And, and Paul is saying their, their, their faith speaks for them, for themselves. That they're uh, that this is the, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Uh, uh, for from you, the, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Uh, that they are examples to all these people, to all that believe. And how many how many churches do you think uh, just think of on your own? How many churches do you know of that you can think of, and immediately you think about how faithful they are. You think about all the work that that there is that there is doing. That they're. Uh, was such a complete change in them. There's, there's people uh, speaking of them. They're, they're examples to other people. And, uh, you know, how many, how many churches do you know uh, that, that when, you, when you bring them to mind, that is what you think of? And uh, we can read throughout the scriptures of these different churches that Paul wrote to, and, and, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I think if there was a, a church that we need to look to, or at least I, I, I would want to look to and say this is uh, what a church needs to look like, the Thessalonians, of course, they're not perfect, but the Thessalonians is somebody we need to look at and see uh, what real conversion actually looks like, uh, what faith through persecution actually looks like. And in verse 9 it says that they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true uh, God. In Acts chapter 26, verses 17 through 18, it says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I am now sending you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I was looking at this verse, uh, I think it was a few days ago, and it's, you know, I was kind of thinking about it. It's like if you wanted to... This is a, a pretty good definition of repentance here. That uh, they were turned, that the purpose of this was to turn them from the power of Satan to where? To God. And turn them from darkness to light. There's a complete 180 degree change. And the purpose for that is that they can receive the forgiveness of sins. Now I mention this because this is you know, really what has happened with the, the Thessalonians in verse 9. That they turned from idols and now they are serving that living and true God, and to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who deliver, uh, de- delivers us from the wrath to come. And again, that hope uh, that, th- of the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, get that word messed up, and the, uh, the coming of Christ and the deliverance of wrath. And we go throughout the book of First Thessalonians that this is a constant idea. Uh, especially in the latter part, and, and much of the book of Second Thessalonians is dealing with uh, that second coming of Christ. So we go to the second chapter, and uh, 
really, uh, at the first part of this chapter, I would almost describe it as like a, uh, of course, we see uh, Paul and his attitude uh, towards delivering the word and uh, uh, what his message consisted of. And I think that's very important for us today that if uh, preachers or even teachers, that if they, if they are uh, wanting to understand what their message should consist of and how to deliver it, and how to act amongst other brethren, I think uh, the first part of chapter 2 is a great place to start. Now notice the content of, of Paul's message in chapter 2. It's message and it's delivery. I'm going to run through this pretty quick, but in verse 2 it says it's with boldness despite persecution. Anything that he was suffering did not stop him from delivering the message. Verse 3 says it did not speak deceitfully or from error. In verse 4, he says he spoke as pleasing God and not man. In verse 5, he used no flattering words or covetousness. In verse 6, he was not seeking man's glory. In verse 7, he says, but he was gentle. In verse 8, it says he was affectionately longing towards them. Verse 9 says he labored so that they would or he would not be a burden. In verse 10, it says he behaved justly, behaved devoutly, justly, and blamelessly. And in verse 11, he exhorted, comforted, and charged as a father. And if you think about somebody who's, uh, you know, they're making up, a, they're just making up something to maybe get rich quick or try to get some type of a renown, uh, become popular amongst other people. I don't know if Paul did a really good job at that because, uh, this would, if you want, if you want to deceive people and try to sell some snake oil and try to get rich off of that stuff and live a good life, this is not the way to do it. Because uh, he he was not. He just spoke. It seems as though he just spoke just the simple truth, and uh, it didn't matter uh, what he was going to suffer from that. But yet he did that in a, a good manner. That he was not um, bat, he was not bashing people on the head. He was gentle uh, with that approach. He behaved devoutly, justly, and blamelessly as well. And, of course, if anyone, anyone there disputed that, they could, they, could, they could look for themselves. And remember, how was Paul acting uh, when he was around them? Now, uh, you think about how do, how do false teachers act then? What is their message? Uh, how, how different is Paul's message and delivery different from those that are actually false teachers? Well, we have a good description of, 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 of false teachers, uh, ungodly people in the book of Jude. It says that they uh, defile the flesh, they reject authority, they speak evil of dignitaries in Jude in verse 8. In verse 10 it says they speak evil of what they uh, don't know and they corrupt themselves in what they know, kind of differently than what Paul, he says that he behaved devoutly, justly, and blamelessly. And we have these, these people in Jude that they are corrupting themselves in what they know and they uh, just speak evil of the stuff that they don't know. And in verse 16 it says they are grumblers, complainers, walking according to all, their own lust, and they use great swelling words. The great swelling words you contrast with Paul's not using flattering words. We see uh, the contrasting of, again, walking according to their own lusts, grumblers, complainers, and uh, we see that Paul was gentle towards them. So we see a stark difference between these, these ungodly people and Paul and his deliverance of, of the message. 
And another thing that uh, in, in verse 19, I didn't see that, but they also cause divisions as well. And uh, one thing I want to point out that in, verse, in chapter 2 and verse 4, that Paul was purposed to speak the gospel. And, uh, of course, that means speaking it to other men. But his priority was pleasing God. That if somebody just didn't like that message, he wasn't going to hold back any from them. And verse 4 says, but, we have, we, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. And again, we have to be focused on what we say. And what we say is truth. But we need to do so in, in the right manner. Just as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2, says that the uh, servant Lord must not uh, quarrel. He needs to know the word, but he also needs to deliver that in a, a right manner. Now, we move on, and, uh, and of course, he's talking about, uh, in, in verses uh, 13, he talks about, again, how that they received the word, and they welcomed it as word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And I think that's, you know, again, I think that's a lesson for us that the truth is still no matter, truth, no matter who speaks it. And uh, the only way we can know that it's true is through God's word. But now let's go back into verse 12. He says that uh, he says that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And um, you think about this for a minute. What does it mean to walk worthy of God? How do I walk worthy of God? In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so we see Paul exhorting them, uh, the Thessalonians, to, and, uh, and, and comforting them that they, could, that they would walk worthy of God. But also we know that part of this walking worthy of God is to being filled with knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We simply just, we have to know what he wants in our life and not just be content with that, but actually apply those things as well. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So if you're abiding in Christ, you call yourself a Christian. You need to be walking just as he walked, and or I would say trying as hard as you can to be walking just as Christ walked. Now, uh, we kind of we kind of move on. I'm on. We're running out. Of, we're running out of time. But again, he talks about uh, there that they're uh, in, at the end of chapter two that they receive the word of truth. They become imitators of the churches of God. Notice in verses uh, fifteen. He's speaking of the Judeans, uh, those uh, of Jerusalem, uh, his country, of, of the countrymen. And it says in verse 15, it says, Who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. I find that interesting because there's a lot of people in this world, even those that call themselves to be Christians, that they would say that the Jews are still God's chosen people, that God still has a covenant with the Jews. And even... Uh, some of our brethren hold to some some different doctrines will say that there was some t- type of covenant with the Jews even during this time. 
up until the destruction of Jerusalem. And it, it's kind of fascinating. I don't quite understand how you could hold that view when you see Paul describing these uh, Judeans that they, and describing, I believe he's talking about them as a whole here, that they are, uh, that they do not please God and are contrary to all men. That these people, that if they are not following Christ, if they are not part of that new covenant, this is what they are. That they are not pleasing, that they are not pleasing to God. So we'll move on to chapter uh, 3. At the beginning of, of chapter 3, it seems as though Paul was, Paul was, was so concerned, Timothy were uh, so concerned with uh, Thessalonians that uh, Paul sent Timothy to establish and, and encourage them. And um, in verse 5 it says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sit to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. So Paul is so concerned with them and the things that those in Thessalonica are facing that he thought that their labor could have been in vain. And uh, we have to remember that we cannot let any type of persecution, any type of hardship cause us to fall away from Christ. And Paul is very aware that these things could have uh, made them fall away. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So this is, again, this is not a surprise or should not be a surprise for us when we are hated, when we suffer persecution because of Christ. Because it's pretty clear here that um, if you're doing right, if you're living godly, you're going to suffer. You just write that down. It's it, it's it's complete fact that this is what is going to be. Uh, this this is what's going to befall you. In Revelation chapter two and verse ten it says, "Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life." Uh, again, we use this verse a lot, but it really makes the point that with uh, John he's saying uh, or Jesus saying that these things are going to happen but uh, you have to hold on you have to keep holding on and you be faithful in death and I will give you the crown of life going back to that hope that we have that if you maintain you endure you're looking for that hope you uh, are patient uh, during that persecution and, and, and even if you do die even if that persecution does kill you that you're going to have that crown of life at the, at the end now, Paul's concerned with them. He thinks their labor might be in vain. But in verses 6 through 9, we see that uh, Timothy brought news of their steadfastness and how uh, they remembered uh, the apostles. It says, But now Timothy has come to us from you, brought, good, brought us good news of your faith and love, and that, you are always, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also see you. Verse 7 says, Therefore, brethren, all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you uh, by, our, by your faith. Now, it's interesting because it's, it's, what they're saying is, is that their faith was a, an encouragement to them, that their knowledge of them, their holding fast, that they were, that they were being comforted uh, because, of, because of them. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, uh, it says, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my change, are much more boldly to speak the word without fear. 
that the effect of Paul maintaining his faith uh, while in chains actually caused others to be bold. It kind of gives a, uh, at least in my mind, it kind of gives a sense of legitimacy that's saying this guy, he's, he's preaching this message and uh, he is now in prison because of this. He's not giving up the faith. And uh, them seeing him going through all those things and still enduring that caused these other people to be bold to keep uh, spreading that work. And also for these in, in Thessalonica, that uh, their, uh, their steadfastness in the faith. You think about, uh, you know, you see a lot of trouble out in the Christian world today. Y'all ever been around somebody and, and you see some other Christians and you just sit there and you're like, oh, we can't actually do that. You know, we, we, we can't actually do what uh, God says because we see this guy out here doing this. And, uh, and, and it sometimes may just be because you don't see many people doing that than when you actually see somebody actually holding to the scriptures. It comes, it can't come as a shock, but it's also a comfort in saying, you know, if that person can do it, I can do it. And uh, if we see this church over here doing all these great things, that means we can do it as well. And it, uh, and it gives us an encouragement seeing other people uh, actively uh, playing out their, their, their faith. Now, Moving on, in Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, it says, talking about, uh, and we go on, we see this immense joy that uh, Paul seen, or Paul wrote to them, again, continuously thanking uh, God for, uh, for them and for the joy which we rejoice for your sake before, before our God, now and day praying exceedingly, that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, it's, uh, I was reminded of Luke chapter 15, verse 10, when we read uh, those few verses, that this immense joy uh, that's caused by uh, these people following, uh, just simply faithfully following God. And, and it says in Luke chapter 15, and verse 10, it says, Likewise, I say to you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That these people, even though it may not seem like a lot, just one, but yet there is immense joy. Uh, because of that joy in the presence of the angels of God. And this is similar to kind of what we see with Paul here, that uh, people may say, well, you know, that's just one church, and it's just, you know, it's not that many people. Uh, maybe you should go and be worried about something else. Maybe you should be focused on these other congregations. But yet, he is continuously thankful for them. And uh, I don't think I can speak about it enough because he's always constantly talking about how thankful and how he's always praying for uh, these brethren. And uh, notice in verse 10 that he's, he's joyful for them, but he also wants to perfect what is lacking. Uh, there, is, uh, there is always room for growth uh, for us, no matter, how, uh, you know, no matter how mature we have become. We never can get to this point where we just say, well, I, you know, I got this figured out. Done, we done, we, I've done all that I could do. Uh, there's no more growth for me. I've just reached this plateau and a smooth sailing from here on out. Well, uh, even Paul himself in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but he's always, he's forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things which are ahead. If he had failed, if he had sinned, put those things 
behind, putting that past life behind, and keep moving forward, keep growing, keep maturing. And look at the um, the end goal in verse 13 of chapter 3. It says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Uh, this is uh, this is the end goal that he wants us to be uh, that we can have our hearts established blankness, holiness. Where before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints, and we have to understand that we God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be uh, blameless, and of course that happens through Christ and obedience uh, through His Word. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. And so we can only, again, we can only have our sins forgiven through Christ and what he has done. But we are called to live holy lives, obedient uh, to him. And that we have to always be working on this idea of being holy in all of our conduct. And that's part of that uh, establishing uh, hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father. And um, so this is really ending, uh, at least this part, of kind of a snapshot of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, we see the hope that the Thessalonians had in these first three chapters. Again, I don't think we could really uh, talk enough about that. And that's, that's what's causing them to endure uh, regardless of what has happened. And uh, you see these things going out in the world. People are just distraught. They think about, well, I have, I have no meaning in my life. I have no hope. The world's going to die. These bad things are happening. You know, the, all these uh Hurricanes and tornadoes. They, you know, what's what's the point of lip? And we know as Christians that we are, you know, we have hope that uh, we can uh, live eternally uh, with God in heaven. And uh, if you are not a Christian, uh, you don't have that hope. You may be fooling yourself, uh, but uh, there is really not much hope for you. Uh, not as long as you're a Christian. Not as not as long as you're in Christ. And uh, of course. Uh, we offer this invitation. If if you're not a Christian, we would certainly like to talk with you and, and, and to make those things right. And also, for us who are Christians, we know that uh, we can slip, we can fall, we can uh, uh, be facing all these things in life. It just causes just just causes us to break down. Uh, but um, we know that uh, we can uh, have uh, that uh, chance of forgiveness with God if we are willing to repent of those things. And uh, we can make those things right and that we can uh, continue to grow, put those things behind us and continue to reach out and, and, and follow God faithfully. And, of course, uh, if you are in that situation, you need to confess anything, you need the prayers of the saints for whatever reason. Please come now as we stand and as we sing.